As we mentioned last hour, there is a shortish list of people uh, to whom we go for opinions and perspective because we know whether we agree or disagree, it's going to be worth considering. Andrew McCarthy is high, high on that list. He was an assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, wrote a fabulous book called The Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency, senior fellow at National Review Institute. I'm sorry, uh, National Review contributing editor as well. Uh, Andrew McCarthy joins us. Andy, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. It's great to be with you. Yeah, thanks. Um, Trump lovers and Trump haters are pretty excited about this story, obviously for different reasons, but it seems to me that there are quite a few pundits out there, left, right, and center, who think there's no way the feds went into Trump's house, did something this norm-breaking just because of archive retention. Is that your belief? Yeah, that's my belief. I think it's pretty clear that what they're very interested in is January 6th, that, that, you know, they had enough evidence with respect to the records retention and the classified information aspect of it, that that gave them uh, a basis to get a search warrant. But the way the law works, once you have a lawful basis to go in to do a search, even if the search warrant gives you permission to search for crime A, if while you're in there you find evidence that's relevant to crime B, you don't have to ignore it, you're allowed to take it. So I think what they really wanted was a legal basis to go in there and do a wide-ranging search that would help them with what their priority is, which is the January 6th investigation. Right. I realize this calls for a fair amount of speculation, but I'm squinting, I'm making my squinty face, trying to figure out, all right, what would be in a file box in a storage room in Mar-a-Lago that would relate specifically to that? Or in the safe. Right. Yeah, I... The way these investigations work, let's think for a second about what you think they think they need to prove, right? They are trying to make a case that Trump is involved in a conspiracy to commit election fraud. And the biggest challenge for them, because Trump had a bunch of people telling him that there was no fraud and he kept going out and saying there was fraud. What he's going to come back and say is, I totally believe that there was fraud. And I had plenty of people who were telling me there was fraud. And when the Justice Department told me we looked and we didn't find any, I didn't believe them because I believe there was fraud. Um, So what I think the Justice Department is trying to do is develop evidence of Trump's state of mind at the time to try to show that he didn't really believe what he was saying publicly. So when you're talking about, like, getting evidence of what somebody's state of mind is, you're not really going to find like a smoking gun memo that says, here are the five ways that we're going to commit election fraud. You know, Mm -hmm. what you're looking for is contemporaneous conversations that he was having with people at the time, which would show or indicate that he didn't really believe what he was saying. And, you know, that may not look like a smoking gun when you first see it, but if you're a prosecutor or an investigator and you're aware of all the other evidence of what everybody else said, uh, some things that look like they're innocent on the surface take on a different cast. Why didn't they just subpoena this stuff? Yeah, that's a very good question. So I think there's two explanations for it, um, uh, both of which are um, alarming. One is, it seems to me that the political left, particularly the Democratic Party's base, is very impatient with uh, Garland. They think he's too passive. 
you know, they don't know why Trump hasn't been indicted already. They think he should have been drawn and quartered like years ago. So he doesn't understand. They don't understand why Garland hasn't moved on this. And there's been a lot of agitation. So I think a lot of what the Justice Department has done in the last six weeks is theatrical. Like, for example, you know, they did search warrants on these two lawyers at the end of June, Eastman and Jeffrey Clark. Um, they didn't need to do search warrants on those guys. They could have given them subpoenas. They could have given their lawyers subpoenas and told them, you know, this is the stuff we want. Have them turn it over to us. Eastman had just been in a litigation over emails out by you guys in California. Um, when he, when they, when the committee asked for his emails, he didn't go and destroy the emails. He went to court. And when he lost, he, you know, the, the, the people got what they wanted. So we're not dealing with people who are going to destroy evidence, yet they used search warrants. And they did this search warrant yesterday. So you have to worry about are they doing, are they being more intrusive than they need to be in order to project to the Democratic base that they're being energetic and aggressive and they're really serious about this investigation. So that's one interpretation. The other bad interpretation is they think that they're dealing with people who would destroy evidence if you gave them subpoenas. Mm. So they feel like they have to have the element of surprise. So I give you those two things. Neither one of them is is, uh, is very benign, but, uh, you know, it is what it right. is. Andrew McCarthy, National Review contributing editor on the line. So you've, you've kind of touched on this, but the narrative on especially the super enthusiastic Trumpy right is that this is third world banana republic uh, usurping of the democratic process, blah, blah, blah. Um, is that uh, too fevered or do you think perhaps in the Justice Department's uh, you know desire to appear to be doing something, they have edged into banana republic territory? No, you know, I think it's too early to say that. It's, um, you know, look, I think from their perspective, and just so you know uh, where I'm coming from and what my bias is here, I think if anybody can be shown by strong evidence to have been involved in violence, then that person should be prosecuted no matter who it is and no matter what ism it is that, that prompted the the violence here here. Um, but if we're if we're not dealing with violence then the cases that they're trying to to make on trump the charges that they're investigating are things like um did he obstruct the congressional proceeding where they count the electoral votes or has he committed a fraud on the government uh which is a very elastic uh and and i think much abused statute that we have in the law that allows prosecutors to essentially criminalize things that Congress has never gotten around to criminalizing, right? So with respect to those things, I I, I kind of agree with what Attorney General Barr said, which is that if you're going to have the Justice Department interfere in electoral politics, the only time they should ever get involved is what, what he called a meat and potatoes crime, which is to say a crime that's so clear that everybody can wrap their brain around it and see the merits of prosecuting it. But if you're talking about things where, you know, the Justice Department is essentially, you know, trying to criminalize a loopy legal theory, like, you know, John Eastman had this theory that that Vice President Pence didn't need to count the electoral votes. You know, when I was a prosecutor, if we were going to turn into a felony, a frivolous legal theory, I'd have been prosecuting five lawyers a day. Um, you know, we just don't we we generally speaking, don't do that. We give a wide berth for politics and we give a wide berth for 
legal interpretation. And I think if you're going to have a situation where it's the Justice Department for the first time in history prosecuting a former president of the United States, it better be a clear crime. It better not be like one of these things where the Justice Department was thinking about new ways to push the envelope of complicated statutes. I, I just think if they go that route, then people are rightly going to think that the Justice Department is being weaponized for political reasons in a way that it wouldn't be in a normal case. Right. So getting so this becomes politics more than than law. But if you're if your theory is correct that they. They 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 got a warrant for something that they can probably pull off. You got some stuff here that you're supposed to turn over, uh, but they're really looking for January sixth stuff. Isn't that the biggest roll of the dice in political history? If they don't come up with something, well, what do you think? I mean, I, I think that if nothing happens, then this will be forgotten. I don't know the number I mean, of never Trumpers that I've heard. Um, pe- people on the right who had soured on Trump or never dig dig Trump are now are like, "Hey, you better show something big here." I just wonder if he's going to get a ton of sympathy out of that crowd. Well, yeah, I, I you know, here, I think the smarter Democrats um, have concluded that Trump can't win a national election, so their dream scenario is that the Republicans nominate him mm. and then he runs. So I, I think a lot of this by the smarter Democrats is trying to goad Trump into running and to fire up his base so that he becomes almost I, I actually heard somebody say this on the Republican side yesterday, that he should just be nominated by acclamation. Yeah, I heard that. too. I, <laughs> yeah, that was a former uh, Huckabee, former Governor Huckabee said Trump should be nominated by acclamation at this point is a stance yeah, but, against the, the evildoers. <laughs> And he'll lose, and he'll lose in November by twenty points. Um, wow! You know, I mean, I, I just think I, I think they're crazy if they think. Look, I, I, you know, I, I probably shouldn't do political punditry because it's it, it's not necessarily my line of work. But I, I but I always think that you know, Trump won by the skin of his teeth, with miraculously with forty six percent of the vote in two thousand one, which is very hard to do in a, in what's essentially a two person. Race, right? But a lot of things broke his way. And then in, two, in 2020, I think when the dust settles, he kind of lost the conventional election. It wasn't even by, you know, historical standards. It's, it's like in the tier of, of close elections, it's kind of low. It was a close election, but it, was, uh, it wasn't that close. Um, and what's happened since the election is the Capitol riot. You know, we had two months of the stop the steal craziness. And the Capitol riot, riot, which, you know, tr- pro-Trump people may see it one way, but most of the country is, is horrified by it. So I think Trump had a hard enough time winning a national election where everything had to go right for him. And he was running against a historically bad candidate and he barely won by the skin of his teeth. He lost the next time, even though he was the incumbent. And now he's got to run if he runs with January 6th around his neck. And I just don't see how he does it. So, so if I'm the Democrats, I'm just trying to be. I'm not trying to be pro-Trump or anti-Trump. I'm just trying to, you know, just right. be logical about this. Um, if I'm the Democrats, I want the Republicans to nominate him, just like well, the Democrats are running around, you know, funding all these pro-Trump candidates because they think they're going to be easier to beat in November. Oh man. As if politics isn't ugly and confusing enough. Uh, Andrew McCarthy, The National Review, I'm afraid we're out of time, but we sure appreciate the perspective. It's always great to talk. Let's do it again soon. I sure I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Armstrong and Getty.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 